Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity. I thank you for this time to come together. I thank you for the opportunity to share your word with these, your people. Now, Father, I ask that you would get all of me out of the way and let nothing come out except for what you desire and what you have predestined to be said to these, your children. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus, and you open up our ears and that you open up our hearts to receive this word. And then that you give us the boldness in the character to walk in this word, to walk it out in our lives so that we can progressively become more and more like you every single day. This is our prayer and we believe we receive it in Jesus name. Amen. 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 And amen. All right. So this morning we're going to be talking about going after God's best. We're going to be talking about going after God's best. We spent several weeks talking about growing into sonship. We talked about growing into sonship and how when we grow into sonship that we progress from being creations of God to being children of God to then becoming sons of God. And as we are progressively becoming more and more like Christ, we ought to progressively be going after the things of God more and more. When I say the things of God, I'm not talking about the material things that come as a reward for serving God. I'm talking about going after God's best, meaning becoming more and more like him. And so what I want to do is I want to begin with the scripture and I want to begin with the scripture in Psalms 34, uh, Psalms 34, verse uh, eight. And um, what did I Here it is. Yes. Psalms 34, verse eight. And this is from the King James Version. And here's what it says. It says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is what? Good, blessed, empowered to prosper is the man that trusts in him, him being the Lord. And it's a pretty familiar scripture, but I was reading it um, last week and all this week as I was preparing to to. To, to teach this particular lesson after sonship. And I started reading in some different translations and I read it in Psalms uh, 34, eight out of the message translation. And I want us to look at this in the message translation because I think it sets the precedent for what we want to talk about today. Psalms 34 verse eight in the message translation says, open your mouth and taste, open your eyes and see how good God is. It says, blessed or empowered to prosper are you who run to him. Somebody go ahead and type in the comment section, say, I'm blessed because I run to God. I am blessed because I run to God. I don't run from God. I don't hide from God. I run to God. The psalmist says, open up your mouth. He says, just taste. He says, open up your eyes. Just see how good God really is. He says, empowered to prosper are all of those who will run to him. And so as we started thinking through this, as I was thinking through this lesson this morning, I wanted to begin uh, almost with a thesis statement. And I wanted to kind of challenge you on something to kind of get you ready for what we're going to talk about. And here's here's my statement. I want you to think about this. I am submitting to you this morning that divine health and divine prosperity are better than divine healing and provision. Now, take just a moment and, and, and ingest that for just a second and hear what hear my heart and hear what I'm saying. I am saying to you that divine health okay, and divine pro prosperity, those two things, they are higher 
than just having divine healing and provision. You say, well, Pastor Edwin, what does that mean? In simple terms, let me say it like this. It is better that God blocks cancer from ever coming in your body than for you having it and having to be healed. It is better for God to inundate you with prosperity. And we're not talking about just money because at Fellowship of Champions, when we use the word prosperity, we are clear that, that, that money alone is not prosperity. Then when we talk about prosperity, we're talking about total life prosperity. It is better to have divine prosperity than just to have divine provision. In other words, it's better for you to be in a situation where you're not having to ask God every month to pay your rent. You're not having to ask God every month to, to buy you groceries. You're not having to ask God every month to please provide for, for your, your utilities, but that you are living in such an overflow of prosperity that those needs are taken care of and you have more than enough to be a blessing to somebody else. So I'm submitting to you this morning that divine health and divine prosperity are both better than divine healing and provision. Because when you live your life needing divine healing and needing divine provision, it puts you in the stand place of always needing a miracle of always needing a miracle. Now, there's nothing wrong with a miracle. There's nothing wrong. But if you live in divine health and prosperity, you won't need a miracle to get you healed or to pay your bills. Ooh, Gloria, hold on. Stay with me. Don't run away. I'm saying to you that it is possible for you to live at a level where you're not always needing God to show up in the midnight hour and bless you at the at the last moment to get that rent paid, to get that car paid, to get healed, to fix that relationship. There is a place that we can run to. The Bible says, blessed, blessed is he that will run to God. There's a place we can run to and into where divine health and divine prosperity, meaning total life prosperity, can be our existence rather than the dependence on some supernatural event that we cannot project will happen. Stay with me. And if you can't see the difference between the two, I submit to you that that may be the reason that you only visit God's best rather than living in it consistently. It is why you only visit God's best rather than living in it consistently. See, I enjoy when I get to take a vacation with my crew. I got a crew of people and, and, and we don't all get to go at the same time. But when we all get to go together on vacation, it is one of the most uh, enjoyable things in my life. Now, I don't get to live there, but I get to visit it. And when I get to visit it, I enjoy a great time doing it. But then I have to come back to reality. <laughs> I have to come back home. I have to leave Vegas. I have to leave San Diego. I have to leave Miami. I have to leave those places. And I have to come back and take care of some of the regular responsibilities. But when it comes to living in the kingdom, God says you can run to me and you can run into me and you don't ever have to leave. You can live your life, glory to God, in a state of consistently living in God's best. But sadly, far too many believers live in a place where it's just a matter of time before some crisis in their life 
throws them into a place where they need God to do yet another miracle. And because they live in this cycle of always needing a miracle, they never get to really experience God's best on a consistent basis. But I declare today that the Partners of Fellowship of Champions are progressively transitioning out of needing a miracle to live the supernatural life. We are progressing out of needing God to show up in the midnight hour and deliver us from the things that we ought to have dominion over. We're not going to be having to be waiting for God to, to have somebody come knock on our door and send us a check so we can just pay our rent. No, no, no. We're going to go after God's best. What is God's best? Having enough to pay my rent and several other people's too. Having enough to pay my car note and to be a blessing to other people to give them cars too. I'm talking about going after God's best. That we give God so much of us that sickness can't hide in our bodies. That disease can't infect our bodies. That depression can't impact us because when depression comes against us, it's rebuffed because we got so much God in us. Because we are living in God's best. Somebody go ahead and type this in the comment section. Say, I declare I will live in God's best. I declare I will live in God's best. I see people saying, I receive this. Yes, you ought to receive this. And sometimes you have to receive things by the spirit. You can't wait till you figure them out. You can't wait till you get a plan. You can't project plan this. You just got to say, you know what? Today is the day I decide from this moment on, I am going to live in God's best. I am progressively every single day going to become more and more like him so that I live in what's best for me. Understand this, while many believers may think it would be wonderful to go on living from miracle to miracle, that was never God's plan for his family. I know the old church kind of taught us that. The old church taught us he may not come when you want him, but he'll show up right on time. They were basically saying, you know what, you, do, you just need to depend on God for a miracle. I am submitting to you that if you study this out, miracles were designed to be catalysts for the non-believers. Ooh, glory to God. Hear me when I'm, I'm teaching better than you saying amen. Catal miracles were designed to be the catalyst to get non-believers to believe. It was like something miraculous would happen and they would have an aha moment and go, oh, that had to be God. That had to be a God. That had to be this God you're talking about. So there were lots of miracles performed because people had no revelation of who God was. But you have a revelation. You have an illumination and an impartation of who your God is. You don't need a miracle to live by. You can live by his promises. It is better to live by the promises of God than the miracles of God. Why? Because his promises can be tracked. You can track his promises. You can look and see exactly what's required and to, to receive what it is you're believing God for. Because God's not in the habit of switching up the plan. God says, you, God, God says you want a harvest, you want a financial harvest, so a financial seed. So you're waiting around on a miracle to happen, which is great, and they can't happen, but they're unpredictable. But God says you don't have to live this unpredictable lifestyle. You can learn my principles. 
You can learn what it is that I am doing and you can begin to fall in line with what I'm doing and you can be able to do the very same things, glory to God, that I have, that I have done because I've given you the pattern to do them. Understand, living from miracle to miracle may sound amazing. It may sound amazing, but it's also extremely stressful. <laughs> it's also extremely stressful. You would, Wouldn't it be better if your child came down with a sickness? Wouldn't it be better for you to have the faith to pray, believe and receive that that sickness has to go rather than just saying, God, if you don't do it, I don't know what's going to happen. God, I need you to show up. God says, I've already given you a pattern for how to deal with sickness, to how to deal with disease, to how to deal with lack. I've already given you the principles. You don't have to wait on a miracle to happen. Miracles were designed as a catalyst for the unbelievers to become believers. You say you are already a believer, then believe. If you already are a believer, believe, believer. Living from miracle to miracle may sound amazing, but it also means that you are going from crisis to crisis. No one wants to live from crisis to crisis. People need miracles when they're in crisis. Nobody needs a miracle when they're not in crisis. And God didn't design for his, his children nor his sons. We've elevated from children to sons. And, and, and God doesn't need his sons living from miracle to miracle or crisis to crisis. Okay? Someone said, well, Pastor, I, I love a miracle. Me too. But you can't predict them. I don't want to live my life on a, on a schedule of, of unpredictability. Let's define what a miracle is. Here's what a miracle is. A miracle is a highly improbable. Now, notice that word, improbable, highly, which means it probably ain't going to take place. It's highly improbable. It's extraordinary. It's an extremely outstanding, watch this, or unusual event, development, or accomplishments that brings a very welcoming consequence, okay? Now, if you read that, you go, well, I want some unwelcoming consequences. Sure you do, but you also don't want to have something that is improbable going to determine whether or not you're going to experience that welcoming consequence. God has a better system. God has a better plan. God wants us to go after his best, not his least. Understand, and I'll come back to this later, but the enemy, the, the enemy of great, the enemy to being great is good. That is the reason. That is the reason that so many people, when they come into the kingdom, their life is so jacked up and they start to love on God and God begins to reciprocate uh, in the natural that love back to them. He loved them before, but he starts to shower them with the things that, that are available to those who are in his kingdom. And people start to live so much better than they used to. They forget about going on for the next thing God has for them. But God wants us to go after his best. A miracle by nature is an event that is not explicable by nature and it's not natural and it cannot be tracked through scientific laws. It is therefore considered to be the work of a divine agency. Does God perform miracles? You bet he does. Is God still in the miracle business? Absolutely he is. But as a child of God, as a son of God, miracles were not designed for how we should live our entire life. Simply put, a miracle is an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs. Do we want God involved in our affairs? Absolutely. 
is a miracle, the only way God can get involved. No. And we've got to stop. The, the church as a whole has got to stop thinking that if God gives you a plan, God's not involved. Listen, the same God can get, watch this. God can give you a plan to cause you to walk in financial prosperity. But he can also call some random person to come and give you the same amount of money that puts you in financial prosperity. I submit to you, though, that if you are waiting on the ladder, <laughs> if you are waiting on that improbable to happen, you may find yourself in life being sorely disappointed. And so God didn't want his kids to have to be sorely disappointed. So he says miracles are available, but I'm going to give you another system where you can guarantee the outcome. I'm going to give you a system that if you go after my best, if you track me and you follow me, you can have the best that I have to offer. Hear me this morning when I say this. God wants to change the level where you live. Somebody ought to receive that right now. God wants to change the level where you live. Go ahead and type that in the comment section if you believe that. Say, God wants to change the level where I live. God wants to change you from living at good to living at best. God wants to change you from living at better to living at best. Wherever you are, God has another level he wants to take you to. And I don't know about you, but I, re I received that this morning, that God wants to change the level where I live. The Lord has really been impressing upon me and even challenging me in my own thinking and living that the main reason that we as a body aren't receiving his best is because so often we are willing to settle for less than his best because less than his best was better than we could get on our own. Ooh, listen to me. Hear me out. God has been so good to us that many of us where we are now, we could have never imagined it. I can be. I never imagined my marriage would be this good. I never imagined that my life would be this good. I never imagined I, I have the resources that I have. I just didn't imagine. I didn't come from it, and because I didn't come from it, what I imagined was better. What I have now was better than what I came from. And if I'm not careful, because I so appreciate what I have now, I won't go after what God's calling me to. And you gotta be careful that you don't let God. That you don't let God's better become your best because it's better than what you had. Oh, glory to God. Hear me out. Here is the issue that I see. As the Lord has been speaking to me about this subject, and I'm preaching to you out of what he's preaching to me, because I can be honest with you and say to you that there are times that God is asking me to ask him for something. And I'm like, why do I need that? I'm happy with what I have. I don't need that. I'm okay. You know, I, I'm blessed. We were talking to our, our, our daughter. She has a birthday coming up next week uh, or this week since it's Sunday. She has a birthday on the 19th. And we were asking her, we were saying, Jordan, what do you want for your birthday? What do you want for your birthday? We've been asking her for months. And the other day she just said, I'm sorry. She says, I don't know what I want for my birthday. She said, it's hard to say what you want when you feel like you got everything that you need. And, and the Lord was like, see, that's what I'm talking about. I don't want you to focus on having everything you need. I want you to ask me, what do I want to give you? He said, that's the conversation we need to have because what I need to give you ain't always just for you. Sometimes I need to give it to you because I trust you to handle it the way I say handle it. 
He says, and I need to get some resources to some people, but I can't give it to them directly because they won't do with it what I asked for. He says, so when I'm trying to take you to another level, stop fighting me. Who glory to God. He says it like this. Far too many times, God's less is still so much better than what we had or where we came from. We struggle with going to the next level. God's less. Do you hear me? God's less. L-E-S-S. God's less is so much better than what we've ever imagined, than where we came from. Then what we, I mean, God's less is so good right now. It's almost like, you know, God, we don't need nothing else. He's like, no, no, no. You may not need anything else. He says, but I need you to allow me to give you more, to take you to another level, because what I'm doing is not just for you. In fact, I was reading this story about John D. Rockefeller. And John D. Rockefeller said this, and I quote, he says, don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great, because only when we get ourselves out of our comfort zones of good, did you hear me? Our comfort zones of good, can we move to be great? I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, but somebody out there this morning wants to be moved out of their comfort zone of just enough. Listen, I know, I know. God took you when you was broke, busted, and disgusted. God took you when you when, when you had to beg Peter to pay Paul. God, I, God, God took you from not having enough to even get by. He, when, when you had 15 days of money and 30 days a month, God was there for you. And God has progressed you to now... You, you don't ever have to borrow or even rob Peter to pay Paul. You can pay Peter and Paul. Now you got money in the bank. Now you can you can pay for your meal and somebody else's too. You got you got cars that you done paid off. You got houses that you done paid off. You you done you done went from an apartment to a home to a mansion. God did all of that. And I know we want to say, God, I thank you so much for what you've done for me. You ain't got to do nothing else. And God says, Don't stand in my way. I still got more to do. I still need you to pursue me. I still got more for you. I want to show you deeper things about who I am that, that, that far exceed this material realm. I want to give you new revelation. I want to give you new insight. I want, to sh I want you to come after me with everything you got because what I give to you won't be just for you. In fact, many of you may know the author named Jim Collins. He wrote a book called Good to Great. And in that book, he actually says this. He says, when we settle for good or even very good as our highest effort, it becomes the enemy to being great. It becomes our enemy to being great. Ask yourself, say, self, have I settled for good? Have I settled for good? Have I settled for God's good rather than God's best? Have I have I settled? Have I decided that, that my life is so good right now that, that I don't need to pursue God for, for the deeper things he wants me to come after? Understand this. Very few believers, very few, very few believers are truly committed to God's absolute best. I'll say it again. Very few believers are truly committed, sold out to God's absolute best. Why is that the case? Because we have been influenced more by the world than by God's word. We've been influenced more by the world 
than by God's word. And we've been dummied down to accept far less than what God has provided. You want to make people mad? Start telling them everything God has for them. You want, you want, listen, if I want to see angry faces on this broadcast, all I got to do is start talking about how God wants to bless you. All I got to do is start talking about how God wants to heal you. All I got to do is start talking about everything God wants to do. And some demon, some devil living in Loliba is going to raise his head and be angry because the enemy doesn't want people to know that God has even more for them. Say this, say God has more for me. Go ahead and type that. Say, God has more for me. I'm not just talking about material things. Say, God has more for me. He does. God's got more insight. He's got more revelation. He's got more relationship. He's got more depthness. He's got, God has so much more for you. But the world wants to dummy us down and the world wants us to just accept less than what is ours. Now, understand this. We, as believers, should always want better. It is not selfish to want better. It is not selfish to want more. It is only selfish to want better and to want more if you only want it for you. But if you have a kingdom mentality, and if you have said, God, I can be trusted, somebody go ahead and type that, say, God, I can be trusted. If you are one of the people who God can trust then God needs to have someone in the earth that he can deliver all of the things that he wants mankind to have. And he needs to have somebody that he can usher that through. I am that man. You are that woman. We are those sons of God who can be trusted to handle whatever it is that God wants to get into the earth. But just because we want better, we have to ask ourselves, are we asking for God's best? Because better to me is different than better to somebody else. But God's best is absolute. And so we want to chase after God's best. And as long as you can live, listen, as long as you can live, hear me, as long as you can live with what is God's uh, good, or as long as you can live with less than God's best, especially if that less is better than what you've had, then you will always be sadly satisfied with less than God's best. You will always be, and hear, hear, hear the language, you will be sadly what? Satisfied. You're satisfied, but it's a sad state to be in because it's less than what God has for you. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a powerful truth that we cannot ignore. We must go after God's best. In order for God's best to become insatiable for us, then we have to get sick and tired of being sick and tired. God's best has to be insatiable for us. I can't get full off God's best. I got I to gotta want it 24-7, 365. It is the only way that we will aggressively pursue after God's best because God is so good that every time he gives us something, every time he does something for us, it literally can lull us into a place of complacency because it was so good than what we had before. <laughs> it was so good. What Are you listening to me? What God has for us, the God can give you something today. And if you're not careful, it'll lull you into complacency because the one thing God gives you is so much better than everything you already had because God is always into the thing of multiplication. 
We have to get careful not to get full off of God's best. God wants us to be insatiable when it comes to the things concerning him. Let me say it like this. You have to have a holy dissatisfaction with mediocrity. You have to have a holy dissatisfaction with mediocrity before you ever can experience all that God has for you. Until you get to the place where you, and I, 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 and I can be honest with you, and I don't say this because she's my wife. I see this in my wife when it comes to the, to when, especially when it comes to the word of God. She has a holy dissatisfaction for mediocrity. She can get a new revelation about something God gave her. She will enjoy that revelation and immediately start asking God for more. Why? She has a holy dissatisfaction with mediocrity. We all need to have a holy dissatisfaction with mediocrity. We don't want average. Somebody type in the comment section and say, average sucks. <laughs> average sucks. We don't want average. We are going after God's best. We are going after God's best. If you don't become insatiable to the things of God, you will be lulled into having this, this satisfaction with mediocrity. And when you have a satisfaction with mediocrity, mediocrity can only breed what it is, average. That's all it can breed is average. And God didn't call us to be average. It doesn't, and it will not just happen accidentally, though. We cannot get this insatiable appetite for God just by saying, I want an insatiable appetite for God. You have to make the decision that you're going to go after God with everything you have. It doesn't just happen automatically. In the same way, I can't sit here today and say, you know what? I really want to have a six pack. I want to have this really defined six pack. And what I'm going to do every day is I'm going to sit here and say, I got a six pack. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to say, God, bring on a six pack. I'm going to say, come on, God. Come on, God. Do your thing. Make this a six pack. I can do that until I'm blue in the face. A miracle could happen. It could happen. But I'm telling you, it's improbable that I'm going to sit here and get a six pack just asking God for a six pack. I've got to make the decision to be actively involved in getting this six pack. If you want to have an insatiable appetite, the Bible says you have to participate in, in developing that appetite. What does he say? He said, those that hunger and thirst after God shall surely be fed, shall surely be fed. That means I have to go to God and say, God, I have an appetite for you. And, and, and I'm going to cultivate that appetite by spending time in your presence, by reading your word, by fasting, by prayer, by doing all the things that we know works that bring us closer to relationship. Understand this. Everything, everything in our fallen world naturally goes from good to bad. Everything, everything in our fallen world. You take a piece of fruit, the most beautiful piece of fruit you have ever seen and pull it off its tree. The moment you pull that fruit from the tree, it begins to die. Why? Because everything in this fallen world that we live in, that we're contained in, goes from good to bad. And God wants to reverse that in our lives. God wants to reverse that system in our lives. He wants us to go from good to better to best. He doesn't want us to be diminished. He wants us to go from good to better to best. Our progression in the kingdom should never be a downward slide. It should always be on an upward incline. God wants to give us good. He wants to give us better. And he wants to give us best. 
everything in this fallen world naturally goes from good to bad. Things don't get better without effort. Say this, say I won't say things don't get better without effort. Things don't get better without effort. There it is on your screen. Things don't get better without effort. And if you think they are, you're fooling yourself. And we say all the time that the classic definition of insanity is what? To do the same thing, y'all know this, over and over again, expecting what? A different outcome. Things don't get better without effort. We have to seek to find. We have to knock to get the door open, and we have to ask in order to receive. That's Bible, Matthew 7 and 7. It tells us we must we must seek to find. So if I want to have God's best, I got to seek it. I got to knock on the door. I got to say, God, give me some more revelation. I want more of you. Show me some more. I know this ain't all you got about this scripture. I know this ain't all what you got about this word I received. Give me more revelation. He says, and you have to ask before you receive. We as individuals must raise our sights and we must aim higher when it comes to God. The problem with so many believers is that they too often, hear me, shoot at nothing and then get upset when they hit it every time. Too many believers, too many believers, they are too often shooting at nothing and then they get upset when they hit it every single time. You've got to decide, I am going after God's best. This is where my target is. This is where I'm headed. This is where I'm going. I am not going to spend my time shooting at nothing and then be mad when I hit it. When the you you, you got to understand, God has this plan for us, and he's always had this plan for us, and it's important that we see it and that we go after it. One of my favorite scriptures, and you guys know this, is Jeremiah 29 and 11, along with Romans 12 and 2, but I like Jeremiah 29 and 11 as well. Now, notice, we, we read Jeremiah 29 and 11 quite often, and here's what it says. He says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, okay? So that, so that means the Lord's thinking some thoughts toward me. That means there are some things on God's mind concerning me. I am not an afterthought. Uh, God, God, God had a plan for me before I ever showed up in, in this dimension, this, this earth realm. He says, I know the thoughts I think towards you, saith the Lord. They are thoughts of peace, uh-huh, nothing missing, nothing broken, and not of evil, nothing twisted. To give you, praise God, an expected end. What is that expected end? He said it's a hope and a future. And, the, and, and we know one translation adds the word that you never forget. He says, I want to give you a hope in the future, one that you never forget. Why? Because he says, even when things are going bad, I need you to know I still have these same thoughts for you. Even if you lose your job, I still have these same thoughts for you. Even if you lose someone really close to you, a loved one, I am still thinking these thoughts towards you. What are the thoughts? To give you an expected end, to give you a hope in the future, one that you will never forget. When the Lord spoke to Jeremiah to write these words, Israel was devastated. If you go back and you study this out, he didn't give him this during some happy, glorious time. The city of Jerusalem had been destroyed and many people had been taken captive into Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. Thoughts of peace were probably the last thing on their mind. And what God was saying to them in the midst of the most horrific time they were facing is that I am still thinking great thoughts towards you. 
He says, don't you forget it. I still have the thoughts of peace and these, and they're not evil. And there's still thoughts to give you an expectant end, to give you a future and a hope, one that you would never forget. That's why if, we, if you, when you read Jeremiah 29 and 11, you also need to go ahead and read Jeremiah 29 uh, verse 12 and 13, because notice what he says. He says, then shall you call upon me. I'm telling you, it's time for us to call upon the name of the Lord. He says, then you'll call upon me and you shall go and you will pray unto me. He says, and I will what? Hearken. I love that word. That's not a call. That means hear and do. He says, I will hearken unto you. I will hear you. I will come unto you. He says, and you shall do what? Seek me. He says, and when you seek me, what's going to happen? You're going to find me. He says, and when you shall search for me with all of your heart. He says, this is what's going to happen. He says, I'm having these thoughts towards you. I'm thinking, I'm sending them your way. He says, and that's the frequency, praise God, I need you to be on. I need you to be on the same frequency that I'm on. The frequency I'm on is thinking good thoughts towards you, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a, a, an, an expected outcome, a future and a hope. He says, so what I need you to do is to call up on me and tell me about these thoughts I'm thinking towards you. Put me in remembrance. He says, because when you put me in remembrance, he says, then you'll go and then you'll begin to pray unto me. You'll cry out to me, Lord, you said to me that you were gonna have thoughts of peace and, and, and goodwill toward me. And so father, I declare that this depression is trying to infiltrate my body. It doesn't belong to me. He says, oh, I heard you call out to me and you called out to me the very thing I was thinking towards you. Let me get rid of depression for you. Let me hearken unto you. Let me hear and do. Let me come unto you. And then when I do that, he says, you keep seeking me because the more you keep seeking me, the more you're going to find out about me. Understand this. I don't care if you sought God from now until almost the end of eternity. You still wouldn't exhaust knowing everything about him. And every time you seek God, he reveals another part of him. He reveals another part of himself to you. He says, when you shall search for me with all of your heart, you shall find me. And listen, I've had people tell me that they pray and believe God that nothing happened. But the scripture promises otherwise. If you have prayed and you have believed and you say, but God didn't, but, but nothing happened, you didn't believe when you received. And that's where the breakdown is. The Bible says you believe, you receive when you pray. He says, when you seek me and cry out to me, you got to know that it's a done deal. So the question becomes, who's right? The person who says they believe and nothing happened or God's word? As for me, I choose to believe God's word, even when I'm the one who's feeling like didn't nothing happen. I choose. It, let me help you. It's never God's fault. <laughs> if, that, some of you could get set free right now if you just make the decision that no matter what went bad in your life no matter what went wrong in your life no matter what you're not seeing if you would make the decision today it's never God's fault it would absolutely set you free amen it will set you free the key is we have to seek with all of our hearts we have to seek with all of our hearts. And the truth of the matter is most times when we are going after the things of God, the missing element is the totality of our heart. We have to reach a point where we won't live with anything less than God's best. Far too many times we go to God seeking help 
but we go with a plan B, a plan C, and a plan D in our back pocket. It's like, God, I'm asking for your help. But in the event, watch this, your help doesn't come through, or God forbid, you, God, don't know what you're talking about. I got a plan B and a plan C and a plan D in my back pocket, just in case. And what I'm telling you is that when you go to God and you don't have all of your heart invested, how do you expect to get everything that he has? God has to, uh, God, God wants to give us his absolute very best. Did you hear me when I said that? God wants to give us his very best, but because God is a gentleman, God doesn't force his will on us. Now, it'd be so much simpler if he did, right? The whole world be saved. It would be, you know what that would be called? Heaven. <laughs> it would be called heaven. But even in heaven, God doesn't force his will because we've had to do, we've had to accept him to get there. When we go to God asking for his help, wisdom and guidance, and in the back of our minds, we are still having some consternation about whether what he said is true or not, we really are setting ourselves up for failure. You can say lie on that for a moment. You can say lie on that. Think about, ask yourself, be honest with yourself. Try your best to be self-aware in this particular moment. Have I ever gone to God? Have I ever asked God for wisdom? Have I ever asked God for guidance? But in the back of my mind, even after I receive what God said, I still had some consternation. I still had some doubt about whether I should do it the way God said. And the answer is yes. And if you say no, you lying. You ought to come up here to the church so I can put some oil on my hands and lay hands on you and get that lying demon off of you. Because we are all human. And as humans, we have the dumb ability to think we know more than God, even when we go and ask God. Absolutely. Absolutely. We think we know more than God, even when we go and ask God. So if God don't tell us what we already thought we should do, we're trying to figure out either how to do it our way or how to mix what we're going to do with God. And then we wonder why it's not working. When you go to God and God gives you a wisdom and God gives you insight and guidance, you have to follow that thing with fidelity. We re reaching a point what we won't live with anything less than God's best is the attitude that we must have. It's the attitude that's missing in the lives of far too many believers. The bar of expectations, even within the ministry, has been lowered in regards to healing, finances, and more. If you want to make people mad, do a whole series about being about healing. You want to make people mad, do a whole teaching about, about living above poverty. Listen, it never fails whether I preach it or somebody else in our ministry preach it. And they start to say this word right here. God says every believer, every partner at Fellowship of Champions can make $100,000. There are people who get mad. They get mad. And to me, it's like, wait, but aren't you a partner at Fellowship of Champions? Wouldn't you want to be a part of the person making $100,000 a year at minimum? But they get angry. Why? Because they are looking at their current state rather than saying, oh, that's God's best for me. If that's God's better, and, and it really $100,000 is God's better for you. It ain't God's best for you by any stretch of the imagination. 
But wherever you are, God wants to take you to a place of better and better and better and better until we progressively get to his best. And again, that's not just material. That's that's in that's in the spirit realm. That's where your emotions are concerned. That's where your relationships are concerned. It's everything. Hear me. I am not trying to condemn anybody. We have all been raised and we've all been influenced by an ungodly culture. We've all lived in a culture of ungodliness before we came to the Lord and we still live in it because we're in the world and nobody learns how to receive God's best overnight. I'm not here to beat you up this morning. I'm not saying to you that if you've accepted less than God's best, that you're a terrible person. I'm here to challenge you. I'm here to be your coach. I'm here to be your cheerleader. I'm here to tell you that it doesn't matter what yesterday looked like. Today can be a whole new day. Today can be the day that you get revelation and insight and says, you know what? I got to be careful. My life is really good right now. And I got to be careful not to get lulled in to this satisfaction of mediocrity. I got to be careful not to just be so glad that I have a uh, 25 days of money um, that I don't want to go for the 35 days of, of money. I, I, I got to be careful not to allow my better today than yesterday become where I stay when God wants me to take me to his best. Is this making sense to anybody? God has far more for us than we are currently experiencing. Somebody say that in the comment section. Say, God has far more for me than I am currently experiencing. Everybody ought to be typing that in the comments. God has far more for all of us, but you make it personal. You say for me than we are currently experiencing. Believers ought to be walking in supernatural health. They ought to be walking in financial prosperity. However, most people are managing their health. Most people are managing their prosperity or their finances. But God has more for us than that. You will never receive God's best until you become completely dissatisfied with second best. My wife and I were talking about this. There are some things we wanted to do and we could do them, but we were like, man, you know, we were talking through it and we just, and we would just said to each other, you know what, this, this, this right here, we, we praise God for everything he's done, but this is the last time we're going to have to have a conversation about whether we should do it or not. We're going to another level where when it's time to pull the trigger, we just do it. And, and, and if that makes you angry, I submit to you that you need to get rid of the spirit that would cause you to want less than God's best because God wants you to have his best. God you know, it seems like we're not fighting God for his best. We're fighting our flesh to have his best. It is God's desire. In fact, he says it like this. He said, it is the will of God to give you the kingdom. He wants to, he wants to give you the kingdom. So, 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 so when we start talking about having a little more than what we have, God's like, no, 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 I need you to come up. It's my good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. It says, for now we see through a glass. And when we see through that glass, we see through it darkly. It says, but then we will see face to face. He says, now I or we know in part, but then shall I know even as I am known. 
In other words, what he's saying here is he's saying right now, sometimes we're looking at things. And when we're looking at things, it's like looking through a dark glass. It's distorted. We can't really see. He said, but you and I as sons of God, we have the opportunity to actually see the father face to face. He says, right now we know in part. He says, but when we get to the place where we start striving after God's best, when we really want to be in tune with the father, he says, then we shall know and even be known as we are known. God wants us, and Pastor has been saying this, God wants to reintroduce us to ourselves. He wants to show us who we are so that we will stop living beneath where we are. He wants to show us who we are so we will stop living beneath where we are. In other words, in an instant, we are going to know what we could have had while on this earth. I don't want to get to heaven and find out what I could have had, what I should have possessed, what I could have done with that. I want to find out that now, right now on the ground while I'm still around. We understand that the same power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is resident in us right now. The same power. I don't think we fully grasp and fully understand that. Pastor Sean and I have been having this conversation about what it means to, to be made new. What does that really mean? Because do we really have an understanding of it? And, 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 I, and I agree with her that I don't think we have a full understanding of it. And, and I think we'll get there. But we have to understand that when we talk about the power that got Jesus up from the grave, that is not a diluted power. That is not a diminished power. That same power resides in us. And if it was strong enough to get Jesus out of the grave, and that, that word grave is not like grave like we think of, like six feet under. It means it brought him from hell. The power to snatch him out of hell's clutches is the same power that we possess. So then the same power that snatched him from hell is the same power that will snatch us from our hell. It's the same power that will cause us to live better than we're living now if we will recognize the power that we have. That's right, Chandra. It is full strength. The same power, Brenda. Absolutely full strength. We will discover, and I don't want us to discover it too late, that we didn't have to be sick, that we didn't have to live broke that we didn't have to live depressed and discouraged. I want us to realize right now, while we're on the ground still around, that we can realize that love, that joy, that peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance are all living on the inside of us right now and is ready to be activated. It's ready to be activated in our lives. Hear me loud and clear. We don't have to limp into heaven. We don't have to limp into heaven. We don't have to be broken and bruised and 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 and, and driving into heaven on, on 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 three bad tires and one missing tire. God says, I want to create heaven on earth for you, but I need you to participate. Praise God. We don't have to be running into heaven talking about we just barely made it. We can live a life of victory right now. Somebody say that. Say, I live a life of victory now. I live. A life of victory right now. Jesus died to deliver us from this present evil world, not just for the one to come. I keep, you know, we, we, we say that so many times when, especially 
when I grew up, that's all I heard. Jesus died for us so we can go to heaven. And that was like, that was the thing. Okay, you accept Jesus, so now you don't go to hell. There's a whole world of living before we ever get to heaven. There's a whole world of living before we get to the new heaven. We're supposed to be creating heaven here on earth. The Bible says in Galatians 1 and 4, it says, Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. Watch this. It says, Jesus gave himself. Why? For our sins. Why? That he might deliver us from where? This present evil world, according to the will of God and of our Father. So if Jesus died to deliver us from our sins so that we might uh, so that he might deliver us from this present evil world, then we're not supposed to be living according to this present evil world. But according to what? According to the will of God and our Father. The Bible informs us that Moses lived under an inferior covenant compared to ours. The Bible tells us that in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7 through 11. Jesus said that John the Baptist was then greater than Moses, yet the least in the New Testament. Matthew 11 and 11. He says, among them that are born of woman, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. God's always been. The Bible is a, is, is a, a lesson in progression. It's a lesson in progression. God starts off with this one covenant where they had to have animals to give the atonement of sin. God says, all right, now it's time for an upgrade. He sends us Jesus. Jesus then dies one time so that we never have to give an atonement for sin but that one time. He says, oh, but I'm not done. Now that Jesus is back with me, I'm going to send the promise of the Father to you so that you now have the same power inside of you. God has been constantly upgrading us from the beginning. He's been constantly upgrading us from the beginning. Therefore, if Moses was still strong at 120 years old with good eyesight, why should we settle for less? Why should we settle for less? We talk about this all the time. When you read the Bible in the Old Testament, you, you see people who, who was living 700, 800, and 900 years. Why? Because man had to learn to die. Man had to progress or digress into death. And God is saying, I need you to become this new creature I created so that you are progressing into life. You understand what happened? Adam and Eve sinned, and since sin, they, they digressed in their living. But now you and I, we say we're born again. We need to be progressing in our living, not, not digressing in our dying. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 34 and 7, it says, And Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes was not dim, nor his natural face abated. In other words, he, he didn't have a bunch of wrinkles and, and look like he was a thousand years old. No, no, no. It says Moses looked great even after 120 years. Why? Because man was still in this process of learning how to die. Now the life expectancy of men is less than 55 years old. Less than 55 years old after the pandemic. That won't be my life story. Understand this. We don't need God. We, we don't have to pray and ask God for a miracle to be healed. God says by his stripes, we were healed. 
Going after God's best is not saying, God, will you heal me? It's God, I thank you that I'm healed. And we've got to transition into that best. We're going to close with this. 1 Peter 2, 24. 1 Peter 2, 24 says, who his own self, glory to God, we're talking about Jesus, bear our sins. Where did he bear them? In his own body on the tree. Talking about on the cross. That we, being dead to sin, praise God, we're dead to sin, should live unto what? Righteousness by what? Whose stripes we were healed. We aren't just healed from disease. We are healed from everything that is anti-God. We are healed from everything that is antithetical to the word of God. We are healed by his stripes from, from financial worry, from mental worry, from emotional worry, from vocational worry, from relational worry. We are healed. And as a result, we are going after God's best. Somebody go ahead and declare that one more time. Say, I am going after God's best. You know what stops the believer from going after God's best? Religion. Religion is one of the strongest weapons that Satan has to discourage people from believing for something more. Because religion will tell you, you ain't got to ask God for all that. Why you gotta know? Why you gotta? Why you gotta lay hands on the sick and watch them recover? Why you gotta raise the dead? Why you gotta do this? Why you gotta do that? Religion wants to keep you in the box. Religion wants to keep you nice and quiet and with the status quo. And that is what the enemy uses. Notice, I didn't say relationship with Jesus Christ. I said religion. The Bible says it like this. It says it is the it is it is the religion of man. Or, or it is the, the natural part of man, man's thinking that makes the word of God of no effect. It is the traditions of men. It is the religion of men that makes the word of God of no effect. Satan doesn't care about what the word of God says if he can convince you to believe what he says. He, he, he doesn't care that you know what it says. He wants to convince you of what he says. And if he can convince you of what he says, then he will allow you and me and others in the church to believe beneath what God has for us. But God doesn't perform miracles today for us to just live by. He still performs them, but they're not designed for us to just live by. God is sovereign, but he doesn't sovereignly control everything. Will you hear me when I say that? God is sovereign, but he doesn't sovereignly control everything. God has given man free will. People say, well, if God is so loving, then why does he let a kid get abused? Because he's sovereign, but he doesn't sovereignly control. He gives mankind free reign. Free reign. But if every one of God's children would rise up and live at the level that he's called us to, we could stop a whole lot of stuff. From taking place in the earth but we got to be willing to go after god's best we don't need god to move more we don't need uh people say well, we need revival we don't need revival in the sense that we're waiting for a church service to, to happen and, and people get energized what we need to do is wake up to the revelation of who we are in christ 
We need to believe that what God has already done, and we need to learn how to receive that. And I encourage you to take the journey with me as we begin this journey of going after God's best. I don't know about you, but I'm sold out for God. And I'm not going to let my good and all the, and don't get me wrong. He's done a lot of good for Edwin Strickland. I live far better than I could ever imagine. But I'm not going to allow that to stop me from going after all the other things he wants to show me. And I'm not just talking about material things. I'm talking about all the things he wants to show me in his word, all the things he wants to show me in his personality, all the things he wants to show me about how he moves and operates. I am going after God's best. What about you? If you're going after, after God's best, go ahead and, and commit to that in the comment section. Say this week. And forevermore, <laughs> I'm going after God's best. This week and forevermore, I am going after God's best. Amen? I'm going after God's best. Don't let anybody make you feel shame. Don't let anybody try to intimidate you and tell you that you you being greedy. No, no, no. As long as you have the heart to go after God because you want to be a blessing to this world, God will not withhold anything from you. The Bible says it like this. It says, God will not withhold anything from them that walk upright. God knows what's in your heart. You can't trick God. You're not going to be able to say, I'm going after God's best and your heart is the wrong intent. And you think God's going to give it to you because he don't know. God knows. God knows. But this week and forevermore, I am going after God's best. And if that offends somebody, I'm sorry you're offended, but I'm going after God. We're going after God, going after his best. Speak to me more this week, God. Share more revelation with me, God. But that's right. That's right. That's right, Miss Jones. That's right, Miss Smith. That's right, Miss Coleman. I'm going after God's best. I'm going after God's best. So listen, I've told you about our announcements. Govern yourselves accordingly. Make sure you join us on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, and then next Sunday for all the different things we have available. If you've been missing out on Wednesday night service, go back and listen to those. If you missed on some Sunday services, go back and listen to those. Listen, when we teach the word of God, if you say you're a partner here at Fellowship of Champions, you're responsible for that word. You're responsible for it. Listen, be have integrity. Have integrity. Have integrity. If you say so you're going to do something, do it. If you commit to something, commit to it. If you can't be a person of integrity, call them in advance. Let them know. Be a person of be a person of your word, and then be a person of integrity toward the things of God. Stop promising God you're gonna do stuff and then don't do it. The Bible says it's better to to not make a vow than to make a vow and break it. Listen, those of you that are believing God for financial increase, I can't tell you. I keep telling people this. I've probably told three people this week. They've called and talked about some, some things that's happened with them financially and asked the question, Are you, have you been tithing? Well, no, I, I stopped about two months ago. You stopped two months ago. Now you're reaping that harvest. Listen, you got to be a consistent person where your tithing are concerned. You got to be a consistent person where your giving is concerned. D do I say that because I want to give from you? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. This I, I talked to a pastor friend of mine and I was saying to him, he was talking about his church and how things were going. I said, and I asked him, are you tithing? He said, well, no, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't really tithe. Well, how do you expect the people to tithe? 
How do you, I'm, I'm just talking to you for a minute. How do you expect people to tithe when the leaders don't tithe? I'm a tither. My wife is a tither. We are sowers. We are givers. And that's the reason that we are blessed. And people are like, well, I want to know how you do it. I'm telling you. <laughs> you want me to give you something else. I'm telling you I live because I'm a person of integrity. I live my life with, a, with, with integrity. The tithe belongs to God. I don't rob him. I don't steal it from him. When God says to me, hey, I want you to be a blessing to so-and-so, I don't say, well, God, they don't deserve it. It's your money, God. You own everything. I'm just a steward. So if you want me to be a blessing to them, that's fine. Even if I don't like them at the moment, <laughs> even if I'm, even if my flesh is, is fighting me a whole way, I'm going to obey you because I'm a person of integrity. And so I believe we as a church are full of people of integrity. Amen. We are full of people integrity. And because of that, we see the goodness of God happening in our lives. We're going after God's best and we see the best in our lives. Amen. So listen, you guys have a great day. You have a great Sunday. Those of you that are traveling uh, different places, listen, be careful. Don't forget, this is our third week of pastor appreciation. Be a blessing to Minister Chandra. Be a blessing to her. You know, you, 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 you may think, well, she ain't going to want no $5. All I got is 5 Listen, it's not the amount. It's the thought. And it's your obedience. Because if God tells you to do it, you do it, regardless of what somebody thinks about it. Amen. So thank you, Ref, for putting that back up. Happy Pastor Appreciation Month. You can cash app Chandra at cash app, uh, her dollar sign, DocWash08, DocWash08. And then lastly, as a reminder, those of you who want to get into our emotional intelligence, professional development intensive, you need to do that before 11.59 p.m. Central Standard Time. Central Standard Time. Uh, so if you're on the West Coast, uh, that would be 9.59, <laughs> on the West Coast or 12.59, uh, I guess, on the East Coast. But it's set for 11.59 p.m. Central Standard Time. Listen, if you're going to be in it, you might as well pay 97 then 197, okay? Uh, so it's going to be a great four-part um, class. We're going to do it via Zoom. Uh, we're going to have a couple of assignments to do. And we're just going to really talk. I'm going to teach, but we're going to talk as a community. We're going to talk about the things that hinder us. Uh, both male and female, both black and white, what things hinder us from progressing in life because we suffer from low emotional intelligence. And I, I, I laugh and I joke about this, but there's no better teacher than me because I suffer from low emotional intelligence. <laughs> I just did. you know. And people go, oh my God, I can't believe you say that. Why? It's true. I didn't say I still do. I said I did. And I've learned so much. And because I've learned so much, I can recognize it in you when I see it. Uh, you know, I did that class yesterday and literally, and she, if she was able to come on here, she could tell you, Pastor Sean and I both had an opportunity to exercise some emotional intelligence in terms of self-awareness and self-regulation. Because I take her to get something to eat, and she goes into another store that's beside the restaurant we had went to, and literally... A woman walks in and just walks right in front of her like she wasn't even standing there in line. Now, y'all know <laughs> that on most days that wouldn't have went well. But she talked about thinking through what are the long term implications if I do what my flesh is telling me to do. And she was able to reel that thing in and say, you know what? At the end of the day, an extra few minutes is not that big a deal. 
I keep my integrity. I, I keep my uh, temperance. I, I keep my self-control. And while this is all going on, we're talking about that. Like, man, I can't believe that. As soon as you teach about something, you have the opportunity to experience it. And then we drive home. And when we drive home, somebody in our neighborhood is walking a dog on a leash. And they're, and they're walking another dog that's not on a leash. And the other dog that's not on a leash is just running around in our neighborhood. And he runs into our yard. Yep, you know what he did. He ran into our yard and just squatted and pooped in the yard. Pooped in our yard. <laughs> and Sean and I are just looking at each other like, did this dude really just let his dog poop in our yard? We thought, okay, well, surely he got one of them little bags that people carry. He ain't got no bag. So we get out the car and his dog comes around to the side of my truck just looking at us like, like, like why are we bothering him? And the guy then says to me, oh, she's really rambunctious, isn't she? And I'm thinking, rambunctious? Your dog just pooped in my yard and you didn't pick it up. But I was able to have some self-control. <laughs> and for those who really know me, <laughs> I, I just said, I said, mm, yep, I can see that. And then he says, I'll come back and take care of that. I said, okay, I'd appreciate that. And I went in the house. But if um, uh, it, five years ago, <laughs> I'd have picked that man little dog up probably. <laughs> that wouldn't have been the right thing to do. That's not high emotional intelligence. And so listen, if I can improve, I'm telling you, you can improve too. So go to go to the link uh, and, and, and enroll uh, and come and grow with us. We all can, we all can grow. Amen. All right. So Pastor Chris told me yesterday that usually when I click this off, <laughs> it just goes straight off. So I'm going to look at the clock. I'm going to wait 10 seconds and then I'm going to click it off. But I'm done. But I'm going to look at you guys for 10 seconds and then I'm going to end the broadcast. Y'all have a great day.